The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. I just want to make sure you got a few things. One is your Bible. That's most important. So uh, pull that out. We're going to get into God's Word in Matthew 28 in a minute. Um, If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and our ushers will get you one. Um, That can be our gift to you if you don't have uh, your own copy of God's Word. Or if you're like uh, me sometimes, hopefully not since I'm the preacher, but you might walk out the door with your Bible, uh, without your Bible. Um, We have extras there for you. So just stick your hand up and they'll do that. Also, if you do me a favor, as you're getting settled, uh, right down the middle aisles and on the end of the aisles are these connection books. These are very important. These allow us to know that you're here. Um, If we haven't got information or you want information about our church, you can uh, designate that on the connection card that's in here. But also, and most importantly on this, is at the very bottom is a place for you to write prayer requests. These are how I pray for uh, you as our church, specifically throughout the week. And so I take these very seriously. And so as you get them, write your stuff on it, put it on the little flap in behind there. If uh, Spanish is your preferred language, it's also Spanish on the backside there. But write those things down, put it in, then pass it to the person next to you, and uh, they can uh, fill it out as well. But see that those get passed through um, through the through the service. At the end, the ushers will grab them. All right, you ready for God's word this morning? All right, we're continuing in our series of This Is What We Do. This is what we do. It's a, we started out last week. It's a, we're trying to bring some clarity and direction to our church on uh, why we do what we do the way we do it. Why, what is this about church? What makes us unique? And so last week we began where we must begin with the priority of God's glory. It's why we are a vertical church. And so we looked at Isaiah 6 last week, that uh, glorious passage where Isaiah sees God in the temple and his subsequent brokenness over his sin, the forgiveness for his sin, and his then commissioning into the mission uh, that God had for him. And so it all begins with that. So if you weren't here and you want to, you can go to our website. It's on there uh, and you can uh, listen there if you missed out. But today we continue on. Why do we do what we do? What is the church? And uh, we're going to attempt to answer the question, why does the church exist? Have you ever thought about that? Just you know, like, why do we do this? What is the purpose of why we gather? Why did God leave the church? Why do we gather on a weekly ba- basis? But what is our purpose? What is our mission? Is the church just a school that is teaching people from God's word, uh, educating people in the ways of, of God? Is the, is the church a cafeteria feeding people on the words of God? Is the, is the church a, a hospital nursing people with the love of God? Well, these are great questions, but before we uh, answer them, we got to go to where? Do you think God's word has something to say about it? You bet it does. God's word does have to say. We got to. If God's word is from God and the church is built by God and exists for God, then surely God gave us some instruction, which indeed he did. So that's where we're at today. Matthew 28. Turn there with me. I'm going to read it for you. If you have one of the blue Bibles, it's on page 487. In your Bible, I don't know. But Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Okay, it, uh, Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus. Okay, he was one of, uh, of the 12 that uh, was originally named Levi. He was a tax collector. He was uh, not very well liked among the Jewish people because of that, because he was taking all their money. But his, when he met Jesus, everything changed. 
Okay? You can read about that in the beginning of Matthew, about how everything changed. He was around religion his whole life in the culture and the house that he grew up in. But when he met Jesus, he was transformed. Everything changed, right? Similar to your life, things in your life changed. Boom, meet Jesus, go from a low life to new life. And the Holy Spirit used him to show us here who Jesus is and give us our purpose. So we're going to be, read the very last few verses of this book. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Hopefully you're there. Let me read it for you now. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Familiar uh, verses to some people? Yeah, familiar. We've been in. If you've been around church, you've probably heard these. But these verses here uh, give us our purpose and our mission, uh, not just as a specific local church here, but I would say to the church at large. In this passage here, Jesus had just defeated death, and he had rose again. The things that we just sang about, right? That's what's happened. Jesus has done that, and now he's meeting with his disciples, and he forever sets the trajectory of the church and his people. He didn't just leave his people. He didn't, you know, Jesus didn't die, rise again, then ascend to heaven and be like, peace out, people. You know, I'm going to heaven and y'all are stuck here for a while. No, he gave us a trajectory. He gave us a purpose. And if we want to know our purpose and live with mission, here is where we find it. And it begins by deferring to the authority of Christ. If you're taking notes with us this morning, and we have sermon notes there uh, for you to help uh, you follow along, but our purpose, if you want to know your purpose, if you want to live on mission, it starts by deferring to the authority of Christ. Look here with me at these verses. You see here, the 11 are there. Who's missing? Jesus had how many disciples initially, right? He had 12. Who's missing? Judas, right? Judas, the one who betrayed him, is not there. So his 11 disciples, they are in Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel, okay? Anybody been to Israel? I think I've asked this before. Few people have, but uh, if you haven't, you should go. But Galilee is the northern part of Israel. It's lush, it's green, it's hilly. It actually looks a lot like Wimberley. Anybody ever been up around the Wimberley area, right? It's hilly, it's green, there's lakes and stuff. That's what northern Israel looks like in, uh, in this Galilee region. Some debate maybe there's more here that uh, Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to a time when Jesus met with 500 people when he appeared to them. Some think that maybe there are more here with it, but we're not quite sure. Oh, we're unsure of the mountain. We just know it's a mountain. We do know it's in Galilee and for sure, the 11 are there. But notice how he groups the two people, or the, the, the people that are there. Do you see how some do what? They worship and others doubt. Some worship, some doubt. And so how many, whether there's 11 there, these 11 that know him, or there's more, he very intentionally d uh, groups them into two very different people. And what's so fascinating here is Jesus is right in front of them in his glorified body. He's just defeated death. He's there before their very eyes. And there's two different responses. 
And despite their two different responses, he then makes this very bold claim. He says what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. No matter what camp you find yourself in, whether you are worshiping Jesus or you are doubting Jesus, even you here this morning, it does not change the fact that Jesus has authority over all heaven and all earth. That every square inch of real estate that you could lay your eyes upon, Jesus controls. Your name may be on the mortgage for that you know, quarter acre or whatever your lot is on, but who owns it? Who controls it? Christ himself, right? There's not a square inch of, of heavens that you can look at that Jesus himself does not have control over how those stars are hung in the sky and all that is in the heavens. There's not a human being to walk this earth that Jesus does not have in his own hands. And there's not a soul in heaven who is not there apart from being bought by Jesus' own blood. See, Jesus is the what? He's the supreme ruler. He is the supreme ruler. His authority extends over everything. Matthew is, is this is a theme throughout this book. And so we get to this, the end, and, and he makes this great claim. But we've seen it. If you, if you read through all of Matthew, you see he, he brings out a bunch of, of different categories and uh, uh, showing that Jesus is the ruler. But here's, here's just a few things. This is from Matthew and, and others. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I want you to see this. Jesus rules over first. He rules over nature, nature doesn't he? Genesis 1, he created it, but he also uh, calmed a storm in Matthew 8. Jesus rules over all of creation. He also rules over all the nations. Ever read Psalm 2? That he rules the nations with a rod of iron, and he will exact his judgment on nations that turn their back on the reality and the existence and the authority of God. Jesus also rules over disease. He heals disease. Matthew 4 and others, we see the, all the, the, the healings from the Gospels. Jesus rules over them and has the power to eradicate them. Jesus rules over Satan and demons. He's able to cast out demons in Matthew 8, and he will one day, we know, defeat them entirely, right? Revelation 20, that is our great hope. Jesus rules over forgiveness of sin. He's, not, he's the one that not only heals people, but he also pronounces forgiveness. How did he buy that? How did he defeat it? Through his own death, burial, and resurrection, right? Jesus rules over the forgiveness of sin. He also rules over death. Matthew 9, he raises a girl from the dead. Jesus has power over that. Not only does he raise another, uh, uh, another human being from the dead, we've, as we've already talked about, he himself rose from the dead. Jesus rules over all humanity. Colossians 1 speaks to this. He's the firstborn among all creation. But then it goes on to say that he also rules over the church, that Jesus is the head of the church. Here, it's not me, it's not any one human being. On this earth, Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the head, he's the chief shepherd. So beloved, if there's any doubt in your mind, there's any doubt in your mind to the extent of Jesus' authority, let, these, let, this, uh, let this show you otherwise. We just looked at a brief uh, uh, and quick bypass and scan of God's word, but if there's any doubt, we must humbly submit to him in worship, shall we not? Shall we not? He's just made this claim, the disciples, some worship, some doubt. Where do you find yourself today? As you move into 2018, are you deferring or submitting to the authority of Christ in your life? 
Does that have a, a bearing upon how you make decisions? Are you deferring to the authority of Christ? Especially if you want your life to have purpose. If you're moving into this, this year wanting to live on mission, to, have, to make your life count this year, well, it begins with discerning, well, what do I believe about the authority of Jesus Christ in my life? Here's some diagnostic questions that, as you ask, as, as you think through maybe which camp do you find yourself in. Ask yourself this, do, do, can the Bible's commands change my direction? Change my direction. I have a job, I have these things, I'm heading in this, and when I come to the Bible, when I read God's word, can it change my direction? Can it alter the, 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 the way that I'm going? Or do my desires rule the day? Well, I want to do this. I know this might bring you more glory, God, but you know what? How about this diagnostic question? Can I joyfully give up habits and traditions for biblical faithfulness? Those things, maybe I've, well, I've always kind of done that. This, that's the, what I've always done in my life. That's what, that's what I think that we did, maybe in the church, maybe in my life. This is what I've always done. But you know what? In order to live a life that honors God, can I joyfully give them up in order to remain faithful to the Lord, to what his Bible calls me to do? How about this one? Does, can, can biblical truth change the way I feel? Can the biblical truth change the way I feel? Maybe, uh, you know, when I, when, I'm, when I feel that I'm worthless, but I know that God has bought me with a price and loves me deeply, and just by knowing that fact, can that change the way that I feel maybe about myself or another person or, or the situation that I find myself in? Can God's word change the way that I feel? And last and final diagnostic question, when I'm at a crossroads, when I'm trying to make a decision in my life, do I turn to the scriptures first or somewhere else? Do I turn to the scriptures first or somewhere else? Or do the person that I seek wisdom and counsel from, are they giving me counsel from God's word or just from their own flesh or their own tradition or whatever it might be? The answer to these questions, I'd say, will help you decide which camp you fall in. Am I deferring to God's rule in my life. Now, now that who's in charge is settled, you see this, Jesus begins this, it's, this uh, passage here is what we call the Great Commission, right? You heard that uh, phrase before? It's what we call the Great Commission uh, found from this, that Jesus is commissioning his people forever in this, uh, in this direction to go and do these things. But it starts by understanding who's boss, who's the one that sets the trajectory. I think we can all agree on it is Christ. Now that that's settled, we take our direction from and then we deploy into the mission of Christ. First, we defer to his authority and then we deploy into his mission and make our mission his mission. And so look at verse 19 here. You should, uh, I want you to see this and, and you can circle it. It's good to write in your Bible, right? Maybe you saw it in, in verse 18, you saw all authority. Now in verse 19, all nations. Verse 20, all, co- all the commands, basically. And I'm with you always. There's a lot of superlatives here, right? Encompasses everything. Jesus isn't joking around here. The reason I, I bring this up to just begin to show you is that, that this is serious, that this is a massive mission with lots of ground to cover. All authority, all nations, all commandments, always present is Christ. 
He gives this with great sobriety, great seriousness, and gives us great purpose to go and do these things here. Now, it's easy here. Verse 19 has a lot, and verse 20 has a lot into it, but let me just break it down like this. You could write it down. Going, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. So as you ask the question, well, what is the mission? What am I deploying into? It's that very thing. Making disciples is the thrust of the verse. Going, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Sometimes you may hear the emphasis on the go, right? Our Bible's in English. It just says go. Literally, it's going. It's a participle here. Um, and so the, the thrust in this command is actually on the make disciples part. If you've been into like a missions conference or something like that, they, uh, they, they may put the emphasis on go and go overseas, right? Well, it's actually as you go. It's actually the emphasis here is that it's a, as you're going, make disciples, baptize, and teach them. You got that? Who are we to baptize? Who are we to go? It's indiscriminate here, right? All nations, no matter who you encounter, no matter where you're going, everybody is a candidate to be a disciple, all right? We are, we are not told who to, who to discriminate or who to, who to decide on who to, to uh, make disciples of. That's up to the Lord. The Lord knows who are his. Our job is simply to cast it to all who would listen. And so as you're going... As you're going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching them. And so this becoming a disciple, it's what? It's, it's initiated with this baptism, okay? Whereas you go, tell people about the Lord. You're sharing the gospel. A disciple is a follower, right? So you're making, we've become disciples of Jesus. And so our mission then is to tell others about it, make other disciples, to tell other people about this great Jesus, about the gospel that transforms us. What is the gospel? Gospel is what saves us, right? Gospel is what keeps us. The gospel is what grows us. The gospel is a part of all of our life. It's the good news that Jesus has died on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sin, and we are the undeserving benefactors of that. You can repent and believe even today, and that is initiated by baptism. It's nothing magical, but it's an act of public ob obedience, right? To baptize somebody is really, is this public profession of what has happened in our heart, okay? It's something that, that uh, we do to tell others of that we are being connected and united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We go, we're dunked into the water, symbolizing the old man. We come up and we are uh, a new creature in Christ, being unified with his resurrection. The word literally means to immerse or dunk. And so I know there's a lot of different uh, uh, debates and, and well-meaning people who think different things about this, but, um, but really the original, we're getting into some maybe some critical things that you don't want to know about, but I think it's really helpful for us to understand this. Okay, so your Bible is a translation of old, older language, Hebrew, Aramaic, and the New Testament is... Greek, yeah, Koine Greek. And so the word here is literally baptizo in Greek, which means to immerse or dunk. And it was a common word used in the marketplace, in the mercantile industry. They would take a piece of grayish or white fabric and they would dunk it down into a dyed, you know, trough of, of, of liquid that was purple or blue or black or brown or whatever they wanted to. And they would dip it in. They would immerse it or dunk it and bring it back out. It would go in 
that white grayish color, and it would come back out the color of the dye. That's what it was used. And so as this practice, as this uh, symbol became the sign of those who would believe, that's what they just took it from. And so as, we, as our Bible got translated into English, instead of translating the word, which should say immerse or to dunk, they just transliterated it, meaning that they just took the letters and so baptizo became baptized. See what I'm saying there? See the difference? So that's why we immerse. That's why we dunk as a public profession. This is who I identify with. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a trinity there. It's important. But all that to say that this is the initiating rite. This is what we do when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. From there, then, you are baptized into a life of learning obedience, observing all that I commanded. You see that? So are we baptized and then just left to go on our own? No, the process continues. We're, to, we're then to teach all that I have commanded or teaching them to observe all that I have commanded here. This is application. This is, this is uh, um, not just learning the facts and the information, but actually putting it into practice in our own life. And so ways that we can miss the mark in this, we, we can apply this verse, this mission only to overseas evangelism, only to overseas mission. That is not the case. This is for everybody. We can also miss the mark when we just evangelize and then baptize, but we don't plug into a church, right? And also we can miss the mark if we just teach information, but not application nor accountability, right? We, these things come as a package. This mission is, is, uh, is, comes in a whole, not just the parts, which is why this is our mission as Christ followers, why it's carried out in the context of the church, not just individuals out doing their thing, but you and I, we can't, uh, we can't follow this. We can't deploy into this mission apart from the context of a local church, okay? The church is like a military aircraft carrier equipping troops and planes to take the battle out, right? So we gather here elsewhere from, uh, from all the things that God has, has had you in this week, and then we return here for direction, for training, for fueling, for baptism, and then to be redeployed out. And so as a church, that's what we are, a military aircraft carrier, right? Maybe you're hearing all this and you're like, but what does this mean for me, right? What does this mean for, for me, pastor? I'm not, uh, like, I can't do that. That's like, sounds good for you, but I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just me, right? Well, let me break it down here into a couple sections. First, what are, what are practices of a Great Commission church? If we're to deploy into the mission of Christ, carrying these things out, going, making disciples, what does this mean? What, are, what do we do with it? Well, the first practice of a Great Commission church, which say that we want to be, is to create a culture of discipleship. We want to create a culture of discipleship, intentionally investing in one another for their spiritual good, where that is the norm and expected, where we are, the, the quality of our discipleship is more important to us than just the quantity of disciples that we have in the, in the seats. We want to be a church that is always investing in one another and valuing that. 
We must maintain a bold witness also. Here's something that uh, you, can, uh, you can be assured of as a part of Redemption Bible Church, that every service, every baptism, every small group, every wedding or funeral, every formal gathering that we have as a body of believers is that the gospel will be proclaimed, that the good news of Jesus Christ will be explained and people will be appealed to, to embrace it. We will have a bold witness as a church. Also a practice is that we want to invest in church planting and church revitalization. If this is the context where this mission is carried out within the local church, then don't, shouldn't this be the thrust of our mission effort? That we should want to see more churches planted, even in our backyard and around the globe? And I say planting, but also revitalization. We realize we're not the only church here in town that this mission has been given to. And so it is our heart, it is our desire to see the success of every church, even in this city, even the ones down the street that are proclaiming the gospel, that have this as their mission. We want to see them thriving and healthy and fulfilling the Great Commission, reaching people that we can't, discipling people that God has entrusted to them. And so we invest in that financially, through our prayers, through our efforts, through our uh, partnerships together. We are for their success. But the last practice here, uh, among many, is to maximize small groups. This is where the teaching to obey, the teaching to observe all that I commanded you happens. And so we maximize. We put a ton of energy. If you're new with us here, Small groups, uh, we just kicked them off just this last week. They meet on multiple nights throughout the, the week in homes throughout our city and would love for you to be there. Here, sitting under God's word, listening to it, this is good. Hopefully, God's word is impacting and transforming you. But it is, goes that much deeper when you are in a small group of people that are holding you accountable and helping to bring greater clarity and greater application to the observing part of what is happening in the chapters in the verses. So these are the things that we commit to. This is how we deploy into this mission with these practices. But again, you might be saying, well, that's cool, but what about me? What about in my life? What about, I'm, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm, just, I'm retired now. I got time on my hands. I, or maybe it's the opposite. I, I work all day. I would get fired if I was, uh, was preaching, right? If you just stood up in the middle of the office and you started proclaiming the gospel, might not go over well for you, right? Maybe you're saying, I'm just a kid. I'm just in high school. I'm in junior high. I don't know, like, what does the Great Commission mean to me? I sit in class all day. How do I deploy? Well, first it begins with changing your view, changing your perspective on the things, the places and the circumstances in which God has put you. Your job, the clubs that you're in, the associations, your neighborhood, those are all divine assignments, not just places for your personal gain and influence. God has strategically put you in that. What did we first begin with? Deferring to the authority of Christ. That means that he, he just said, I have authority over all heaven, all earth, which means your, your life, your job, where he's put you is a part of his divine plan for you to be a light in that place, in your home, in your job, wherever you are. God has put you there. You're like, well, gosh, man, at least you could have put me in a job where I made a little bit more, Right? It's funny, come on. <laughs> but wherever you find yourself, it is God's divine appointment. Maybe you're new to New Braunfels and you got moved here for a job. You're from somewhere else and you got moved here for a job. That might have been God's means to get you here, but his purpose for you being here is the Great Commission. 
That whole reason that you maybe moved here, you transferred jobs or you did whatever, it was for this. That was his means to get you there, but his purpose or his mission is this. If you're born and raised here, Maybe some of you, they're like, yeah, I've, I've been here a long time. I didn't move here. Well, guess what? God is bringing the mission field to you. As you see, New Braunfels is one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S., is it not? So people are moving here. At, what did I hear? 150 people a week or something like that are moving here. It's massive, right? Minivan after minivan, suburban after suburban, moving down I-35 and moving into houses. God's bringing the mission field to you. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to travel over to Africa. I mean, you can, but you don't have to because he's bringing it here. And every new neighborhood that's built, every car that is clogging up traffic is God's opportunity, of, is, is, is more people here for his mission. And so we just need, to, it just begins with changing our view, changing our perspective on the place in which we are based on the authority of Christ and his control in your life and the mission that he has given you to fulfill this great commission. And once our view is changed, then second, then we take advantage of the opportunities that God has given us. It may not be all glamorous and glorious, but just take, as you, as you look around, what is right in front of you? Where is the fruit right? What is low-hanging and ready for picking? Parents and grandparents, it's your kids. It's your kids. They are little disciples. Go after them. Make them disciples. Let them see you worship and growing in the Lord. See that they are baptized when they profess faith and then teach them to observe all the commands that God has given them. Those are your disciples. Students, who, who are you the closest friends with? Set an example in how you study, the way that you uh, behave in class and in, 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 in study hall and how you learn and how you treat other people and invite them to church with you. If these are your closest friends, bring them with you. Employees, employers, how do you do this? Well, it just begins initially with being a man or a woman of integrity and doing your work with excellence. Allowing others to, uh, to have the credit when the credit maybe belongs to you of living out the gospel, taking an interest in their lives, and you'll be surprised the opportunities that God gives you just to have even a small impact into their life. Last week, as we uh, talked about this, as we engaged in mission, we had those little five-by-five five cards. Some of you may have saw them. There was a few that um, uh, were in the, the pews today, but who did you write down on that? If you were here last week, who did you write down? Are you praying for them? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given you in that? If you're new with us today, take one of those. Here's the, our challenge for this month in this mission that God has put us on. We're taking five people. We're committing to pray for them for five minutes a day and, and looking for an opportunity to serve them, an opportunity to invite them to church or your small group to come with you and just see what God does. We can't save the whole world. That's, that's Jesus' job, right? And we won't save anybody, but our job is to just engage with people, engage to deploy into the mission. So take those five by five, keep them in your Bibles, keep it somewhere visible so you can be praying and, and looking for the opportunities that God would give you. No doubt this is a tall order, isn't it? No doubt that this is an overwhelming deployment. How many of you are, I mean, I can kind of tell as we're all here, we're kind of like, whoo, this is a tall order, isn't it? This is a tall order to go make disciples, baptize and teach them. Who feels like overly equipped to do that? Like, God, that's easy. Not me, I can't even raise my hand. 
This is a tall order, an overwhelming order, maybe even a, a scary order, isn't it? Like this, I'm counting the cost before I deploy into this mission. But how does verse 20 end? Look at it. How does verse 20 end? What is Jesus' last thing? He begins by saying, I'm the boss. Here's what you need to go and do. Then does he say, now get out of my sight. What does he say? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's what you can know as you are considering whether to worship the Lord or if you're doubting whether this is right for me, as you're just honestly considering, do I deploy into this mission? Is this where I want my purpose to be in 2018? Do I really think that I can do this? Well, you know that you can go depending on the presence of Christ. This is not a, a commander or, or a boss that just says, hey, go and do this. And then he retreats to his air-conditioned office and kicks up his feet. No, this is Christ himself who's saying, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And what, by saying that, what we know is that this wasn't just for the apostles. He's saying that this is for us, for eternity, forever, that he will be with you. Does that give you a little more courage? Does that give you a little bit more confidence? He's telling us to stop and consider this. That's what the behold means. Do you see that? And behold. Let behold be. This is just a, a Bible study tip. Behold is one of those words that's meant to, to make us stop and pause and consider. You see it throughout the Bible, all, all over the case. Even in the Psalms uh, will use it. And he says, behold. And what that's meant to make us do is go, okay, behold What? Stop, sip, savor, see what is being said here. And so Jesus, he does this intentionally, promising us this, his presence, even as he's about to send into heaven. When you deploy into my mission, I'm going to be with you. I will give you the wisdom, the strength, the confidence, the direction, and the endurance you need. And to be clear, this promise is connected to the mission I mean, we all want Jesus to be with us all the time, right? We want to, and there's a reality of that. Jesus is omnipresent, right? He is God and is always with us. He's everywhere. But there is a special way in which Christ is with us when we are engaged in disciple-making. And this is beautiful. This is personal, profound, and powerful because things happen when Jesus is present, right? Things happen when Jesus is present, and that's what we want. Lives are changed, relationships are restored. When Jesus shows up, it's fuel on the fire, isn't it? Things happen. Our efforts are futile without him. So why do we exist? Why do we exist as a church? Maybe if you know our mission statement as a church, it's just this, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. These verses right here, said more simply, it's to glorify God by making disciples. This is what we do. This is why the church exists for this purpose, not for programs, not for anything else, but for this one unifying mission. Beloved, as I said, we are a military aircraft carrier. You ever seen pictures of those things? They're massive. They sit out on the ocean. But the last thing that a military aircraft carrier wants is the battle to come to them. 
They take the battle elsewhere. They deploy troops to go take the battle elsewhere. And that's what we want as a church. We don't want the battle in here. We're united around the mission. But we want to deploy each of us to carry this out, to make disciples, to give people uh, the, the knowledge, the understanding, the opportunity to embrace Christ. So we're a classroom that teaches, yes, and trains our troops. We're a military aircraft carrier with classrooms, with a chow hall, right, to feed and nourish. We're an aircraft carrier with a hospital to care for the injured and broken, and also a flight deck to deploy us into action, commanded all by Jesus, who does the teaching, who does the feeding, who does the healing, who does the deploying, and who most importantly died and rose again to be with us, even to the end of the age. That's how our life counts. That's how we have purpose, amen? That's what we're, this is about. And the beauty of it is, is that, that we get to celebrate this week in and week out with God's people. And so one of the things that we're going to do now as we close, we've just talked about baptism, is we're gonna get to close now by taking the Lord's Supper of communion, that ongoing rite, that ongoing thing that God has given us in his glory to remind us of what he's done and his presence in unity with us. So I'm gonna pray for us. As we wrap this up, and uh, Aaron's going to come to lead us, and, and uh, we'll go into a time of communion in just a minute. But would you bow as we pray? God in heaven.